Welcome to Colin Shots. Uh, thanks for thanks for listening again. Uh, this is Seth Part. Now I am joined today by uh, my colleague at the Athletic, one of the more um, imaginative and innovative uh, beat writers, really around the NBA today. Uh, James Edwards uh, joins the program for the first time. James, uh, thanks for coming on. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing a lot better after that glowing intro. I appreciate it, and obviously. As you know, big fan of your work and so happy for you with the book and everything, man. It's it's great to finally catch up and it's been a while. It's good to catch up. It has. I mean, I, we we didn't uh, we didn't get get a chance to really run into each other if, other than briefly at summer league, and then I got COVID, so, <laughs> so oh, we didn't, we didn't really. Yeah, no, I I, I you know it, it wasn't. It was, I was basically like out of commission for about a day, but it was fine. But okay. it was sort of. Among the, uh, it was uh, there. There was a fair few people who uh, who who got kind of caught in the BA five wave in in uh, in Vegas, but that's not here nor there. We didn't we didn't come to talk about COVID. We uh, came to talk about the team you cover, the Detroit Pistons. Um, the good old. Pistons. I think I'm getting myself in trouble. I'm getting myself in trouble because I am. I find myself being optimistic that the Pistons are going to be frisky and better than people think this year. Am I crazy? No, 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 no. You're not crazy. I, I guess it just depends on what you th- what people think they'll be. Um, of course, I live in a eco chamber. I think that's the right word. Um, where or eco chamber, echo chamber, uh, where I cover Pistons. So a lot of the people I follow and interact with on social media are Pistons fans, and obviously they have maybe a little two of high hopes for the team. Um, but I, I, if I had to put a prediction on how I think this season is going to play out, I think they get somewhere between 33 and 36 wins, probably fight for the play in all the way to the end. Um, okay. Th- I think we're, we're, yeah. we're on the same, about the same page then. Cause I, I think okay. things go slightly right. And I was frankly, I was honestly a little surprised that they, they continue to be, and we'll get to this, but they continue to be as patient in terms of building out the roster as they have been because got to a certain point in the offseason, it's like they had a guy or two here, um, but it seemed like they were they remained committed to kind of the youth movement. Yeah, and I think that's a very big point. And some people, um, maybe even in the Detroit market, see it as a negative, but I see it as a positive. The fact that they pushed their cap space back another year um, I thought was a great move. I didn't love anybody in this free agency class. Um, Troy Weaver, as as people have come to learn, is very big on not only players but the person. Um, the two big free agents, I guess three, but nobody expected Levine to really go much anyplace else. But um, Miles Bridges, obviously still not with the team due to um, unfortunate uh, decisions on him. And DeAndre Ayton, again, a guy with character concerns, um, a guy who's very talented, but the Pistons didn't want to open up the checkbook for him. And I understand that. I'm not sure I would have either. So they pushed the cap space back a year. Um, I thought they got better even while not spending a bunch in free agency by adding in Alec Burks. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the draft soon to get two lottery picks uh, for Jeremy Grant. Um this team's younger, it's more talented, but I even think, like, 
even something as minuscule on the surface as adding Alec Burks helps this team. They needed an Alex, Alec Burks type. Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. But I think you kind of have to start with, I mean, you, you mentioned small things. How about just Cade Cunningham having training camp? Well, yeah, that too. I yeah, mean, that's, right. that, I mean, that, people forget. That was, I mean, I think that, that it was interesting. I, uh, late on in the year last year, I had, uh, uh, Blake Murphy from Toronto and, and Kelsey Russo from Cleveland on, and we were talking about, uh, last year's rookie of the year race. And I asked both of them who they kind of thought was the rookie from last season who had the sort of the highest long-term upside. And they both surprised me by saying, Kate. Yeah. Um, despite like each, you know, kind of making the case for the, the, the local player they covered in terms of winning last year's rookie of the year, uh-huh. they, uh, which that, that surprised and kind of gratified me because, you know, he got, I don't want to say written off, but sort of uh, maybe even a little forgotten after he kind of started the year slow and Evan Mobley and Scotty Barr had such good starts to the year. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a, let's, let's applaud Blake and, and Kelsey because, I think there is a truth to that, that Cade probably does project to have the best long-term futures this, for, for a couple reasons. While I'm a big Evan Mobley fan and a big Scotty Barnes fan, but I really, really like Evan Mobley, Cade already, after the slow start, which I, I think we should reiterate that pe- people may forget, he missed all of camp. Like I think he rolled his ankle either the first within the first hour or two of camp or like the day before camp. So he missed all of that, all of preseason, uh, the first four games, if I recall. Like, you're asking a guy who doesn't rely on athleticism, uh, who's 18 years old, to come in and show he's the number one pick right away. And it took him some time. And I think when you just watch him, the fact that he has the ball in his hand so much, the fact that the offense runs through him, um, the fact that he's not athletic and still finds ways to get a shot off. He's a three-level scorer. I know the three-point shooting didn't really translate last year, but I have like literally no doubt in my mind that Cade will be a at minimum like a thirty-six percent three-point shooter at some point. Like no doubt in my mind, on pretty on good to high volume. I just think he he does everything well, and for somebody that does everything well and has the ball in their hands that much. He, you kind of look and you're like, yeah, I would project that guy to be the best of a very talented crop going forward. And I think that's that, that we've seen how important uh, in just in terms of, I mean, obviously um, people who, who've seen my tears know that, that, you know, the top is dominated by players who are kind of ball in hands, primary players. And there's a reason we think that that's the, the hardest skill to come by. So as good as Evan Mobley is at what he does, He's got he's got a pretty uphill battle to to ever be sort of a, a any sort of primary offensive weapon on a team. Yep, I agree. And I while we're on the topic, I I want you to know that I got yelled at for your list. Oh, by who? Oh, just the city of Detroit. Oh, the city of Detroit. Okay, no big deal. No uh, big deal. The, what, what did I do? Who did I, who did I short? They thought you shorted Cade. They said that. Okay. And uh, they thought I had something to do with the list, and I was like, no, that's all Seth. And I understand what he's doing, but don't yell at me, please, please don't yell at me. It's summer. I'm trying to. I got my toes in sand. I, that 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 sort of feels like not to defend myself, but I will. No, that please. sort of feels like that sort of feels like someone not understanding the criteria of I, like this is. I'm not. I'm not like saying who would I rather have for the next five years. It's like right. if I'm trying to win a title this year, 
who does what. And like for as I think I'm, I've been as big a Cade proponent as anybody. He's going to be a second year guy I'm, who's 19 years old, and you know, I'm with you. I think I, I mean, I know what goes into that list in your thought process. Um, it's a great list. It takes a lot of time. Do I agree with everything? No, that's why it's a list and it's your list and everybody. <laughs> no, but I didn't think it was anything was egregious. It's just I would maybe have this guy up a little bit more or this guy down. Like, that's all it was. I thought yeah. you did a good job with that list. Uh, but I just wanted you to know that I, behind the scenes, was was uh, fending off the uh, the vultures. Well, it's that's good because I think I, you know, it's uh, all 30, I hate your team. Um, it's basically what that what that list what what the tiers is supposed to come up with. But so yeah, so I think that's the that's the place we have to start with with the Pistons is is Cade though. And so what is you know what what are the expectations of him this coming season? You know that's that's a great question, and it sounds easy to answer, but it's it's not because yes, he was the number one pick, and yes, he really showed stuff for the last three, four months of the season. So naturally, like, and I, some, again, I interact a lot with fans. There are a lot of people who anticipate him kind of doing the LaMelo ball path where he's a second year all-star or all-star in his second season, I should say. Um, And do I think it's fair to put that expectation on him? Yes and no, because do I think he has it in him? 100%. 100%. Do I think he has a good enough team around him that the national media will, at, at the bare minimum, pay attention to the Pistons? I think so. Um, do I think that his shooting will improve to the point that his percentages will look better and he'll just have a better all-star case in general? I do. But I also just think it's it's still just tough to put that expectation on a 20-year-old Um no matter where where they play, but especially a guy who handles the ball as much as him. So do I think he should be at least like – should? this is where I think Cage should be. Pistons fans should be outraged that he's snubbed. Like I think that's where the Pistons would be happy with him being. If he doesn't make it, fine. Is there As long as there's a case for him to make it, um, I think that's that's good enough for a year or two, Cade Cunningham. It's, the, it's like the perfect middle is is like great success, but still a chip on the shoulder. Yeah, from not getting rec- recognized from it. I think the the other thing that that is probably going to be working against him, and this is something I kind of wanted to talk to you about, is uh, Cade's kind of an album cuts player. Yes, like you you mentioned Lamelo. Great way to put it. Like I love that. I love. I'm going to write that. I'm going to put that in the stories, just so you know. So like. Like yes, he'll have some highlights, but he's not gonna he's not gonna do all the stuff that Lamelo does with the regularity that he does. No, he's it's guards just, him Duncan is how it, I always describe it. I mean, it was when he was a when I was learning about him as a prospect, someone uh, described him as a good decision making machine. I love that, and so that's that, those are especially on a team that is that is going to be you know, frisky at best. Those are, those are sort of harder players to appreciate. I think I agree hundred percent. And I think basketball nerds like us see Cade and like, and like I said, with all due respect to Tim Duncan, I'm not comparing Cade to Tim Duncan, but he's guard Tim Duncan. Like you have to appreciate the game. You have to watch to like, understand how good this guy can be or how good he is. 
Um, it's it's super fundamental. He breaks you down. He's not afraid. Uh, speaking of mid-range theory, he's not afraid to pull up for the midi. Um, he very much has that in his bag. He loves that. He loves using that to set up other parts of his game. He's just a very fundamental player. Uh, but because he's cool, like the way he carries himself, the way he talks to the media, the way he, he is on camera, like there's, there's a coolness to him, but he still has a Tim Duncan type uh, aura on the floor, if that makes any sense. I, I, I mean, that's obviously it's a wild comparison, but I right. but I also understand what you're saying. Yeah, I'm not um, saying he's Tim Duncan, just right? Mr. But, Fundamentals. But you could see that sort of early in summer league last year, where summer league is it's a certain style of play. Um, but you don't often see like rookie, like high highly drafted rookie ball handlers directing their team on defense. No, and that's that like that's the kind of stuff that that that. Again, you can't just watch highlights. You you watch games of him at Oklahoma State and just like, oh, that's a that's a, that's a nice stunt recover. That's a just these like these little little basketball plays that might not show up anywhere on the stat sheet except that they're the kinds of things that you know. Given that his Oklahoma State team was didn't was not super successful record wise, it's it's kind of funny to say, but like help the team on the scoreboard. No, for sure, and like even the subtleness of in the pick and roll waiting for Isaiah Stewart to get head just a little bit. So he can do the highway screen and clear away for K to get to the hole. Like the little subtleties like that. He's just, he is wise beyond his years. And um, I have no doubt in my, do I think, I guess I'll say this. There is a belief by many, obviously in, in this area that Cade has could be a top 10 player sooner rather than later. And I'm, Again, I'm more on the cautious side when it comes to stuff like that. So I have no doubt in my mind that Kate is going to be a really good player for a long time. I think the big question with him is um, how good is that? How good can you be in this league when you're not the most athletic, you're super fundamental, um, and you're not nece- you necessarily don't have a game nationally that's going to bring the attention to what you do well? There's not going to be um, – I'm trying to think of, like, a great example. Like, uh, I can, no one comes to mind, but I think you know It, it took I'm a while for people to really realize how good Drew Holiday is. Bam. There you go. And they're Perfect. very they're very different styles of player, I think. Like, like the, the physical – like, I don't think Cade yet has sort of the defensive physicality that, no. that Drew does. But – but and and we'll get to that because I do want to ask about the, things along those lines. But I think it's a again a, a guy who you know the team just 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 is better with him on the floor and good things happen. Yep. No, we're in lockstep. I'm uh, as somebody who gets a front row seat to to cover to watch every K every second of his career. I'm I'm excited to see what he looks like in year two. So given that he's not like the burstiest athlete. Um, he's not. He's not like. He's, I mean, he's not Joe Ingles, but he's not Jalen Green either. No. Um, the first of all, the fact that he, that he's a that he is not quite as big as sort of you know when he was coming into college, he's six nine and he's closer to six six. Right. Um, but also, I mean, he's he's because I mean he's he's young, so he's still he's still slight. Mm-hmm. But I think that's an area where. I would expect to see improvements. Is that what has, you know, in terms of him getting stronger, maybe bulking up a little bit, has, has there been, you know, do you, do you have any insight into, you know, how that's kind of gone over the last year? 
I actually do. I'm Googling, I'm doing a Twitter search right now to try to remember how much weight he's actually put on to this point. We talked to him at, um, at Summer League, and he definitely looked noticeably bigger. Um, he put on 10 to 15 pounds this offseason, still remains vegan, um, but he's just done more consistent weight training. Uh, but yes, he has put on 10 to 15. I think he wants to play, I forget, I want to say 225. I want to say he said, don't quote me on that, but I said, I, I think that's where he wants to be. Um, and in terms of his size, I'm very curious to see if he's not done growing because his brother is a, a legit 6'10". Um, and like you said, like the Oklahoma State measurements weren't um, the most accurate. And uh, But I do wonder if Cade still has a few inches left to go because his brother is very tall. Um but yeah, he's at two, I forget, I think he's at 225 right now, but he put on 10 to 15 pounds while still uh, maintaining his veganism. Because I, I think that's a, that's a, you know, having that ability to, you know, the, the sort of Doncic sort of ability to get someone on his hip and just kind of, you know, slow his way to the basket. Is, yeah. It seems like something that is, you know, not to, I think, I think that's sort of, Luca is actually an interesting like what does his game have to look like for him to be a top 10 player. Yep, I agree. Um I think another thing with Cade that I noticed as rookie year and it could just be rookie stuff and dealing with covid and all that stuff wasn't I, I don't want to say he wasn't in the best shape. Or he, I don't want to say he wasn't in great shape, but he wasn't in the best shape. Uh there were times down the stretch where he just looks at looked absolutely gassed. Um, and I think that's probably a product of never playing that many basketball games, especially at that level of intensity, especially having to do as much as he did. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he's going to come into year two with, with a little bit uh, more fuel in the tank as it gets toward the end of games. But he certainly, I think adding that weight would help to kind of negate some of the lack of burst, like, like you mentioned. Um, and I think, continuing to find creative ways to put the ball in the hoop. Um, maybe add a floater. He doesn't, he's not really a floater guy. Uh, he, he usually either, it's either layup three or pulley, uh, midi. And I think just given how much there were times last year where he would get blocked at the rim and it wasn't a ton. I actually thought he finished at the rim a lot better than I expected him coming in. I thought that I, I wrote it somewhere. Like I thought he would struggle scoring at the rim his rookie year. And he really didn't once he like, got past the initial I've been out for the last three months and, and got rolling, but maybe just add different ways around the basket, add a little floater. I want to see him post up a little bit more too. Cause I think he has that in him. Um, but we're, we're nitpicking a little bit, but I think he'll be fine with what kind of the skill package he has, but I do think he could take guys to the post a little bit more. I think he could get a little more creative when he gets downhill. Um, but certainly adding weight helps with both of those things. And, and, and getting guys off balance. So there, how much has the Pistons roster changed that will sort of help him? I mean, I think I remember when, when RJ Barrett uh, came into the league, there was, I can't wait to see what he looks like with NBA spacing. Yeah. And, you know, four years into his career, I can't wait to see what he looks like with NBA spacing. Yeah. Uh, given the, given the Knicks roster that during his time there, um, there's a, I felt like there's a little bit like, obviously like the, the, the Oklahoma State situation was about as bad a context for a top prospect as I can remember. Yep. Um, 
but there was a lot of you know playing with another ball handler who maybe wasn't uh, wasn't uh, much of a four spacer and and um, maybe having one really one shooter on the floor with him most of the time. Yeah. Um, for a player who is 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 not bursty and relies on angles, you're not really creating any angles if if that's your personnel. Yep. No, I I agree. I'm very curious to see what Dwayne Casey does at the two guard in the starting lineup. Um, before I get to that, I, I do think that did the the Pistons address their athleticism? That was a big thing. They they just weren't the most athletic team. Boy, there. howdy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they added uh, to add Jalen Duran to add Jaden Hivey, the two most athletic players in the draft. Arguably, that's that's a step forward. Getting Marvin Bagley at the last year's trade deadline that helps. Um, retaining or uh, keeping Hamadou Diallo that helps. So there is a little bit more athleticism there. There are more lob threats there for Cade. I still think getting to know Dwayne Casey's last few years, I still think that he's going to emphasize spacing with that starting lineup. And when I, when I think about that, I almost wonder, I battle with what he does with the two guard because Jaden Ivey shot the ball. I think he shot 50% from three at summer league. I still don't believe he's going to shoot the ball that well right out the gate in the NBA. Like I just, I don't think that's his game. But again, Casey knows they're rebuilding, and Jaden Ivey was the number five pick, and get another pseudo ball handler to put next to Cade. Like it makes sense. But what if there's a world where they go Cade at the one, Alec Burks at the two, Isaiah Livers at the three, who I thought was one of the standout performers of summer league, and came on a little bit at the end of the year. And I mean, he was over a 40% three point shooter in college shot over 40% in, in limited attempts last year, um, showed some real good stuff defensively. Um, if you go with him at the three Sadiq Bay at the four, who didn't shoot the ball great last year, but I, that's like one guy I'm not really worried about shooting the ball. Um, and then Isaiah Stewart at the five, who if you follow me on Twitter, if you follow me at the athletic, I've for the last year and a half have been, kind of uh, waving the Isaiah Stewart will be a a uh, consistent league average three-point shooter at minimum at some point, and he helped prove me right at Summer League. Um, I, like, if you go with that five, yeah, you're lacking in height and, and size, but that's not a bad defensive group in terms of switchability. It's a very good floor spacing group. I, I'm very curious to see how, how Casey uh, goes about doing that starting lineup. As as someone who had Jaden Ivey as their favorite player in the draft, it hurts me that you that you want to start Isaiah Livers over them. <laughs> Is it? Well, I was actually thinking more Alec Burks, but yeah, if uh, it's one of those two get popped in the lineup, I think it it would be Ivy that would go. But I don't I don't think it happens. I don't. That's just me trying to maybe be a little too creative with the starting lineup. I, I think Ivy ends up starting. I mean, I think that that might be that that might be you know certainly early in the year that might be the better lineup for winning games this year. Yeah, but I think that would be inconsistent with kind of whatever else they're doing, and it wouldn't be the first time that like sort of uh, you know the the well okay I'm being judged on my record not on not on player development, but it seems like the everyone is kind of moving in the same direction enough there that like if if they lost two extra games because. Jaden Ivey struggled out of the gate, and something tells me that wouldn't be that wouldn't be 
the exactly end of the world. held against Dwayne Casey. No, I agree. Um, and I also think a lot what plays into it is what do they see Ivy as? Do they see him as long term and off ball uh, secondary playmaker? If so, yeah, it makes sense to play him with Cade. If things kind of play out and he's maybe a little bit better just initiating the offense and they're still trying to figure out what's there with Killian Hayes, maybe Ivy runs the second unit and then you bring Cade back in and, and they run together. Like, this, for the first time in a long time, the Pistons have options. We don't know how good these guys are going to be. Of course, that's time will tell. But at least they have the option to like get very creative with lineups, and that's going to be fun to pay attention to and fun to watch. For sure, I so I I, I think I want to I want to interrogate this a bit, and maybe this is a good time to really start talking about Jaden Ivey, who, as I said, <laughs> was my was my favorite player in the draft. I'm not I'm not saying I would have in my wilder moments. I would I would say I would take him number one. I, I don't think I actually believe that, but um, <laughs> um, but. It seems like this this notion of, of on-ball, off-ball, aren't we moving to a place in the NBA where having like many guys who can be on the ball is better? 100%. Like, aren't, aren't we realizing that? So, like, Cade has the profile of someone who can be effective off the ball. 100%. I mean, this is, this is you know, it's, it's sort of the, the, the issue that sort of the Hawks, Mavs, Sixers, whoever else with, like, a super dominant, like, lead ball handler super ball-dominant lead ball handler who doesn't like to play off the ball. It seems like every one of them runs into the same problem. And so having, like, okay, Cade's the one, that like, like the 1.25, and Ivy's the 1.75. Right, right. That, that seems better. No, I, I agree. I think... I And I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Killian Hayes, but this is the question I have with that, is... And it'll be answered once we see more of Ivy, but the reason Killian and Cade didn't work, and I don't think will work until Killian can space the floor, is Killian at his best, which everybody can say their jokes, but the best version of Killian is with the ball in his hands. And of course Cade can play off the ball, but is that the best use of Cade? Probably not. But also, on the other hand, if you use, if it's Jaden and Cade, again, we'll, we'll learn if, if Jaden's best version of Jaden is initiating offense or secondary playmaker. We'll learn that. But for the sake of this conversation, if we find out that he's a better as a lead initiator, but he's not as productive as Cade in that role. Of course, you go, you take your turns and you, you mix up your offense. I'm not saying that. I'm just it's hypothetical for this. Is the best use of Cade, again, off ball? And if not, can Ivy play effectively off ball? And, of course, he has the burst and the cutting knack, to, and you can use him in DHOs to be a little bit more impactful off the ball other than just shooting. But I do think there needs to be wrinkles that need to be ironed out to, to – like ideally we can see how it works, but I do want, like, I, I feel like I need to see it uh, to see just, I, I, I'm thinking about the best use of Cade, I guess, going forward. I, I think I, I understand where you're, what, where, what, what you're getting at, but I, I sort of feel like the, we, we sort of focus on the best use of this player instead of the best 
uh, amalgamation. Fair. And that's and and this is this has been a particular. This has been particularly like I you know you mentioned Trey, Luca, James Harden, whoever. I sort of feel like maximizing them is almost like is almost cannibalizing the team. Just that last like ten percent is almost cannibalizing the team in service of of maximizing that one player. I'm with you. And, and I so I think that if you if you're Detroit and you're building from a little bit from scratch and you don't and and it's not like. Tate is not in a situation where you're you'd be taking anything away from him to balance it better because it's not like well I've had the ball in my hands all the time for four years and now you want me to share it's right like you're, you can you can establish it more up front and at least try I, that feels higher upside to me I'm with you I think no that's totally fair I agree and I'm and I've been a, a big proponent of don't cannibalize by trying to um, run it funnel and run everything through one player, um, especially when it comes to initiating offense. But I guess I'm still trying to figure out what the best backcourt pairing is for Cade. Um, and it could be Jaden Ivey or it could be somebody like Alec Burks. And I'm, I'm interested to find out. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm fairly strongly on give me the talent and we'll figure it out. If they're, totally. if, if they're good at basketball, they'll figure it out. It's sort of. Sure. <laughs> um, so, but um, obviously, they had to have been ecstatic that Ivy fell to them at five. Yeah, um, they're. Uh, how do I say this? Yes, there were some. <laughs> in, there were some in the Pistons organization who rated Ivy very high. Some even as high as you, Seth. There were some who had a few concerns, but of course, as you know, from being part of an organization, Seth, that when you run a team, you take everybody's kind of, well, you should take everybody's input and you make a best, the best decision based on group thinking. And when the Pistons looked at where their scouts had this guy ranked, um, in, in, in totality, it made sense that if he was there at five to take him, even, even if they didn't love him. Let's say they don't even they didn't love him. I'm not saying that, but for the sake of this conversation, other teams did, and it's very evident. I reported on draft night there were several teams trying very hard to get Jaden Ivey. The Knicks, the Wizards were one, um, and another team or two. Even then, just making it an asset, it made sense. But it also was somebody that they, in terms of player profile, something they were very much lacking on the roster. So I think there were very – everybody was happy to get them. I think some were static. I think some were, were happy. Um, I, I am of the belief, though, and I, I don't – Jalen Duran. let's say this. Let's say Ivy's off the board at five. I think there was a real world, if Detroit couldn't have moved back a couple spots, that they would have taken Duran at five. Okay. Now, I thought I was being wild about – about about uh, Ivy, and that's that is yeah. So, I, but I, I don't I don't I don't hate it. Yeah. Um, like as um, it's it's a facile comparison, but I am one of the world's biggest Robert Williams fans. Yep. And there's there's a little there's you know certainly the athleticism is is comparable. There's also I think there's you know maybe he didn't totally get the chance to show it, but I think there's a uh, possibility of a higher level of skill than you know he's given credit for as just being like 
pure, you know, shot blocking rim protector, dive and dunk guy. I agree. There was some really good flashes of uh, of playmaking and passing with Jalen Duran when I got into the film. And and that's that's a very like that in and of itself is a very interesting compliment to Kate because um, you know my philosophy is you sort of want want opposites in a pick and roll pairing. If you've got a, a jet of a of a of a point guard, uh, you probably want a pick and pop guy. If you've got a more deliberate kind of mid range guy. You want the hard roll, and so um, hard to think of another player in this year's draft or really recent drafts who fit that profile better than uh, than Jalen Duran. I agree, I agree, and I I think the big thing you said was early on. Like I think there's just more than dunk and block shot, like like caveman type approach that people seem to have with guys like that. Like I do think there's a little bit more in his in his bag. and I think that was something, and credit to Troy at the deadline last year, obviously they weren't trying to set the world on fire and they didn't have expectations to win a lot of games, but at the deadline when they traded for Marvin Bagley, and of course people can say what they want about Bagley, but the, the point remains that and Troy almost, yeah, right. <laughs> and Troy, Troy through the media almost, like he essentially apologized to Dwayne Casey for not having a rim runner. Um, that roster did not have one before the deadline. The starting the starting front court or not start the the front court was Isaiah Stewart, who I love, but he's not a he's not a lob threat. Um, Kelly Olynyk and Trey Lyles. So Troy, like almost, I mean, he came out publicly and apologized to Dwayne through us by not giving him the tools to run competent offense. And so he gets Bagley, and then he goes and gets Duran, who obviously could be a long term the long-term starter there and you can move Isaiah Stewart to the four if his three-point shooting develops and his playmaking develops. So I think getting Duran was, I think Troy was a big Duran guy. Um, and you, you understand why, especially if you know, like the type of guys Troy kind of covets, uh, at his previous stop, it, it made a lot of sense. So you, we, we might have to talk about Marvin Bagley here because yeah. as, as sort of, you know, it, it it's one of those things that might end up not mattering because, as you say, the Pistons kind of rolled the bulk of their cap space forward. Um, who were they negotiating against? <laughs> That's the question. That I, I I've never I have not I've yet to learn. But I want to run this by you. Yes. And this has kind of been my theory on what was bad, like three for thirty six. So, uh, so somewhere around there, yeah, yeah, like twelve a year, above the mid level for for yeah. three years. Yes. And as somebody in yourself who has worked for a team and in, in the front office, tell me of all of this, this theory I have makes any sense. In today's NBA, it, 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 there's usually, it's just max contracts, big contracts, 23 million and up, or very small contracts. And you don't see as many of the 8 to 12 million ones. And those are so beneficial when you're trying to get a deal done. I almost wonder if... Because they had the space to do it, and again, I don't know if they were bidding against anybody, so they they very clearly could have been, and this is how it got up there, but this is just my thought process. What if they were trying to set themselves up in case a trade does come along just to have that kind of middling contract that makes it easier to jump to getting a guy that makes 23, 24, 25? Because they have so many guys that are on rookie. I mean, Cade... Kelly Olynyk's the highest paid player at 10, 12 million and Cade's at number 10. It's a, it's a roster that doesn't, 
have very many big contracts. Has none. Has no big contracts. So, what do you think about that theory? Um. So the so free agency is enough in the rear view that I that that I, I have a vague recollection of this, but I could be wrong. Uh, that, that it's fully guaranteed, correct? Yes. So I would I I would put more stock in that theory if all right we'll give you a couple million extra year and we'll put a team option on on year three and then that that sort of is the is the sort of the max flexibility kind of version of that fair of of so that I would I would put more weight in that if if they had gotten some degree of like non guarantee or optionality in the third year oh okay. if it's a, with it with it with it being a straight three years fully guaranteed. It much more says I think this player is good to me. Yeah, and I and I do think Troy believes in Marvin. Um, I think he's. I, I reported. Should they made the trade in February? I reported in December that Troy has had Marvin high on a wish list since he took over in Detroit. So that's somebody he always obviously liked um, and had high hopes for and wanted to get out of Sacramento to see what he can do. And so yeah, I mean, he's, it sounds like he might just be hitching his. Is wagon to that horse. I mean, I, on one hand, I, I appreciate the the, uh, uh, the the courage of your convictions in that way. On the other hand, it's it's uh, I, I think those that tends to be where mistakes happen is like okay, well, not only do I am I right on this guy, but I'm so right that I, that I'm going to just blow past the market. But yeah, that's but and, that, and that's possible. Yeah, I and mean, we'll find out. And. Um, uh, hopefully, I learn. Yeah, hopefully, I learn if they were bidding against anybody. I'm curious too. Um, is the, are you into going into this year? Last question, kind of on this year, and then we'll get into to, to another topic uh, to finish up with. Are you anticipating there being a lot more or much more roster movements, sort of over the course of the year, or is it a little bit unless something pops up? Kind of my team is on the floor and see what we got this year. I'm really not expecting that many moves. Um, to be honest with you, I think. And, we, and you mentioned it early in the intro, like they have no fear in being patient. And um, I think for your diehard Pistons fan, that is great because this organization has spent the last decade being impatient and making decisions that have led them to this moment where they had to rebuild again. So I think they have no issue being patient. I think, and this could either be a gift and a curse. And I think if Troy leads the Pistons to a title, this will be his legacy. And if he ends up not working out in Detroit, this could be his demise. I think he is very confident and loyal into a lot of the players that he brought in. And he believes in them. The Sadiq Bays, the Isaiah Stewarts, uh, obviously Cade, um, Duran, Ivy, even Livers. Like they guaranteed Livers as a second round pick coming off a foot injury in college. Um, I think that they like with what they have, and they want this to grow and manifest together. Do I think that if a trade, a no-brainer trade comes up, that they won't do it? No, I don't think so. We've learned Troy likes to trade, um, but I, I don't think that they're going to break the bank this in, in the middle of during the season to go for it. I th- this is how I've kind of looked at it. If they're at the deadline and they're not in the play-in race and a couple of the young guys who are nearing rookie extensions don't play well. Uh, could they maybe move them so they don't have to worry about extending them and going forward with them? That's possible. If this young team is in the play-in hunt at the deadline, 
I think that's the best case scenario. You just, if we make it cool, if not, we get another lottery pick and everybody's happy. Cause obviously if we're flirting with the plan, players develop, the team moved, the team is on the right path. Um, I, I just don't think there's any need for them to, to feel panicked or rush this season one way or the other. I would think that in that situation, the biggest difference you would be like someone like Burks, if they're in the plan. Hunt, oh yes. They probably like, okay, well let's, let's see what we can do. Keep them around. Unless someone like, it's like, oh, I'll give you a first rounder for him. Um, yeah. Uh, or it, or if it's going the other way, maybe being a little more willing to to sort of to to continue sort of the asset accumulation. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I was kind of thinking just more of the young guys. Yes, I agree yeah. with you. I could see Burks being a trade piece, and even Nerlens Noel just has teams going to the playoffs just to have an extra big body, a rim protector. Even Kelly Olynyk next year, his deal is only partially guaranteed. Uh, well, I'm sorry. After this season coming up, right. his third year is only partially guaranteed. So, um, like, even a guy like that makes sense, if depending on the circumstances at the deadline. I mean, if he's healthy, Nerlens Noel is a quality defensive big in the NBA. Yeah. If, they, yep. if he's healthy, is a big F. But <laughs> It's a very big F. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they have – I think they also set themselves up well to, to make some uh, asset accumulation moves at the deadline if, if things break solidly for them. So let's let's finish up. Let's move away from from the the Pistons. Well, indirectly move away from the Pistons. And um, I, so going to like go behind the curtain a little bit. Um, I think everyone can probably remember, you know, uh, like late spring, early summer, twenty twenty, when uh, you know ver- the various shutdowns that happened, and and uh, people in our line of work were kind of struggling for for things to write about. I remember on kind of multiple uh, athletic NBA kind of messages and, 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 and calls like, so, so beat writers, you see that story James wrote, you should, you should see if there's something similar to do with your own team. (laughs) Um, So you, I've, and I've said this before, I think you, you, you have among beat writers, it seems like you consistently have very creative story ideas. Um, I appreciate it. So just like, where, where, as someone who sometimes struggles to to come up with stuff to write about, even from a whole league perspective, like where where does that come from? Man, oh, first of all, thank you. It means a lot coming from you. Um, secondly, and I I try to tell students and young writers this: curiosity still drives me. Um, I think that I I love learning. And I love finding out what I can't, what I don't know. So like, for example, um, I guess before we even get to like profiles on players, cause that's a different, that's a different yeah. thing, but like just obscure kind of random stories. Like I, I, one story I always loved that I did and it was, be, it was pre pandemic, but I did one on trash talk in front of the opposing players bench. So like, a guy hitting a corner three and looking back at the bench. And I'm like, there just has to be some funny, like guys have just had to, had some funny stories that people have said things to him. Like, so I went to Blake who at this point was all NBA Blake um, hitting 37% from three. And that's how I sparked the, the story spark. He hit a three in the corner and he looked back at somebody and said something. I'm like, all right, I need to ask people like, what's the craziest slash funniest slash, great anecdote you could give me about shooting a three in front of the opposing team's bench. And Blake was like, 
my favorite thing to tell people is they must not have league pass. He's like, I can shoot now. He's like, you must, he's like, I'll hit a three. I'll look back and they'll say something. I'll be like, you must not have league pass. And I'm like, that's phenomenal. And so like stuff like that, like, I'm just always curious. Like if I was covering hockey, I would want to know how many extra sticks do they have on the bench? Like stuff like that. Or I'm on the road all the time covering the Pistons and I see how hard the equipment manager works. Why is nobody writing about this guy who has 50 bags on a cart and is rushing to put everything in a bag and get it on a plane after a game? Like that can't be the easiest job in the world. And fans know nothing about equipment managers. So to me, it's curiosity. Um, I like to talk to these subjects and learn about these topics. And because I, I want to bring you into the world of the NBA as much as possible. There are a lot of people who do X's and O's well, um, and I can do that well too. But I I always want you to learn something also um, that you would, that you didn't know. And almost every time you read a story of mine, and I, I think those types of stories, the equipment manager shots in front of the corner three, why do you wear the Jersey number that you wear? Um, those are interesting. Those tell you about the people. Um, and I, I really enjoy telling people's stories. So I've, I've, I'm glad you brought up the equipment manager. Cause this is something that, that is comes up in conversation occasionally, but it's like, if I ever owned a team, the assistant equipment manager would be my best friend. Oh Yes. Because nobody knows more about what's going on. <laughs> no, they do not. No. I mean, just like someone who, on one hand, like the players tend to be very friendly with because, you know, treating the equipment equipment guys right is is sort of, you know, that that's one that comes back around quickly. Um, yep. I, that, that's one of the first things I learned in the front office as well is, is like treat the equipment guys right and, and you know, good things, get, good things tend to happen. Um, yep. But... But at the one at one hand, people are friendly with them. But but the other, like they can be anywhere and just be like a fl- and and no one really pays any attention. So they hear, see everything. Yep, that's they, a great like, point. They know who is, you know, who doesn't actually like whom. Who's you know, <laughs> where the bodies are buried. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, no, it's a great point, and they live fascinating lives. Like. I tried to get it – like, so I did my equipment manager story while we were on a seven-day road trip. Like, that's insane. And, like, the, people don't know that when the plane lands, the, the equipment manager and assistant equipment manager, they get off the plane at 2 in the morning, and they're taking the stuff to the arena after – before they go to bed. Like, it's 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 a wild job. Um, you have to be a certain type of person to be able to do it and do it well. But – yeah, man. Like I, I'm just so interested in learning about people's stories and um, and learning about the the just kind of nooks and crannies of the NBA game. Like I, every time I watch a game, I try to like, what is something that I could write about that everybody sees but nobody would think about? So yeah, you look up and you see like, why the hell does Davidas Servitas wear 91, or why is uh, Bruce Brown chirping super hard at Lennis Claza, and they even play in the same era, but I'm just throwing names. You know, like is there is there a backstory there? Um, yeah, I, I I just try to I try to look under every I try to turn over every rock. I think, and I feel like that's that's sort of like that's 
as much why people are interested in it. It's the, it's the stories. It's, it's yeah. the, you know, the, some of the stories are, you know, the, the X's and O's, the on the court, and that's part of yep. it, but it's also like, it's a, you know, I feel like, I feel like, like baseball writers are almost more accustomed to this just because like 162 games, like you can only write so many gamers, right? <laughs> You know, no, before you, let's do something differently. Let's like who 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 is who choose what brands of sunflower seeds or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Starts to become interesting. Yeah, one com- one I, I, I've been trying to pitch it to our uh, our athletic Tigers writer. Um, one story, I, and I don't know if anybody's ever done. I haven't looked it up, but like I would love to know. Like, go to a first baseman and tell me his funniest stories of just like conversations with a runner on first base. Like you always see those guys just like cracking jokes and stuff. Like, I bet you there's so many great stories if you've got Miguel Cabrera to tell you, like, his five favorite stories that come to mind. Um, but, yeah, man, I'm, w- I'm with you. Like, and especially for me, um, I cover a team that hasn't won a lot of games over my five years, and people don't care about the results, especially, like, even with the excitement now, like, people care about the, the players and the, and the development. So you have to find creative ways to, to keep people engaged. And I've had opportunities to go cover – the biggest teams in both internally, externally, but I've like almost, I don't want to say, I'm not a national writer, but I feel like I've, the guy who covers the Pistons has gotten his name out there because the Pistons have great access and a good story is a good story. Um, and access is so important. And as you know, Seth, like a lot of our colleagues do not have the same access as there are in other markets, but when you have that access and you have that curiosity, um, I tell young writers all the time, you don't need to cover the Lakers to get your name out there. You just, you don't have to, a good story is a good story. And, um, you can make people who don't care about the Pistons read about the Pistons by telling stories from threes in front of the opponent's bench. People will read the shit out of that all day. Or like you know the, the 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 security guard by the by the home team tunnel like yeah like what what about the time that the one guy tried to get back there and what <laughs> yeah, exactly all that stuff man it's there's there's so much than more than to meet than, than meets the eye in our in this game we love and I just try to like unearth it all and I, and I'm not the only one that does it um, but it's certainly been the approach I've taken um, since I've started covering the NBA. So let me let me let me pitch you a story before I before I let you get out of here. Some Let's one that I one that I kind of wanted to start to do, and I actually went so far as to as to you know uh, this is actually even before I worked for the Bucks. Like went so far as to get a, get some calls set up, and nothing ever came from it. I want to know about the life of an NBA arena on the on game day, everything but the game. Like you've been Ooh, you've, you've been in those yeah. games. There's so much going on. Yeah, like. Who owns all that? How does that like? There's so many decisions that go into putting the show on. I want to know yeah. about all that. I, I would, I would like a like. I don't like a TikTok of it would be like not a not a not a TikTok video, but like a a minute by minute would be a little a little too much. But still, like, there's got to be some stories about like what it, what like just the mammoth effort it is to put a, an NBA game on. No, I agree. I, I think that's a good idea. I'll, I'll look into that. Like when you say that, like what comes to my mind immediately is the cheerleaders trying to go through their routine as guys are starting to trickle out for pregame warmups and like <laughs> they're like damn near stretched to the three point line and guys are trying to get shots up and 
but the dance team has the floor so they can get their routine. Like, I'm sure there's some stories out of there. Yeah, no, that's a good one. I'll, I'll put that on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Last one is there was a, um, uh, there was one time when I was with the Bucks, there was a, uh, uh, like, a, I think about a, about a under 12, probably, uh, you know, the halftime entertainment was going to be like some, some, some a couple tr- like all star under twelve girls teams. Like we're going to play yeah. at halftime, yeah. Uh, or or maybe maybe it was before the game, but but we had an injured player who was just coming back, who stayed on the court to get extra shots, and so they couldn't get on the court. And uh, my wife was at the game and was like walking around like the the waiting area and just like the the tears involved and the, the team ended up taking <laughs> care of them and, and like bringing them back for another game but yeah. it was just like 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 things like that 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 okay we have this choreography of everything's going to happen but then you know a guy who's five five days back from being back in the lineup is on the court getting extra shots and our whole whole routine is off <laughs> we you as you know we uh even in the media we we serve these players hand and foot it's a, it's a lot of Oh, you need to interview this guy? Yeah, you can get him. And then guy hides or guy leaves or guy needs to get shots up. It's a lot of sitting and waiting, man. I tell people all the time, 80% of our job is sitting, waiting for five minutes of quotes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for giving me a lot more than – how's that for a segue? Uh, a lot more than five minutes of your quotes today. <laughs> hey, uh, yo. It's uh, great talking to you as always, and um, – Hopefully, uh, for your sake, the Pistons are, 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 are frisky as I think they're going to be, and we'll have a, a chance to talk about it during the season. Man, I appreciate you having me on. This was a blast, and I appreciate the kind words. And, yeah, man, uh, thank you. And anytime you need me, just let me know. Cool. Well, th- uh, thanks to James Edwards of The Athletic, and thank you all for listening. I will be back tomorrow with something a little different. Talk to you all then.